Hey everyone, it's Ken Pooch Van Druden, and that is... This is Chris Raybold, right here with the Christmas spirit. Chris Raybold with the spirit of Christmas. That's it. Right there. Yep. Good for you, man. We uh, we put our tree up as well, I don't know, actually probably like about a week and a half ago. Um, and it's feeling very Christmassy in my house. It's nice. That's cool. Cool. But we aren't going to have Christmas, so that's a little right. weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, however, the world sucks, so who cares know, what yeah. we did? <laughs> I mean, literally, like we decided. Probably, we we haven't totally decided yet, but I don't think we're going to have family over. So, anyway, yeah, that'll be that. Uh, but hey, it's only one year. Hopefully, um, totally. We'll we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, so, other than that, how's life? What's happening? Uh, you doing okay? Yeah. Like you got a haircut. Things are things. I know. I look like I'm going to the military. <clears throat> but, you know, it's one of those, maybe. I don't it's know. A valid question. <laughs> sure. Um, they, uh, you know how it is? I go, like, get my haircut, and they're yeah. doing it right. Everyone's masked up and this and that. But I'm like, I don't want to be in here. I'd like to be in here as little as possible. Just sure. go for it, you know? So, um, but yeah, whatever. Things are good, man. I don't know. I'm just trudging along. You know, there's the, for the first time, it's so funny. There's the tiniest. We finally have a true indicator marker of a light of hope. A light of hope. Like it's like, as far as ahead of us, it's like, I see it. I see the the possibility for actual (laughs) movement in turn and with regards to vaccines and stuff, but it's coming at the same exact time as utter chaos. You know, so it's kind of a weird, it's a weird time. I'm just like everybody else, just waiting out the clock, just trying to get there. Yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping that this dumpster fire of a year uh, finishes soon and it gets better. You know, I don't know that the beginning of 2021 will be better, but maybe it will. No. And I mean, but that's the news is that the kind of, it's like, it's going to suck really bad, but there's finally (laughs) the ability for it to start to turn. Some of the markers we've needed are finally there, you know, so. Yes, whatever. But it's fucked. But but you're fucked in the meantime. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so well, that's all right. I mean, at least we can come around, come around here and talk a little bit about audio and yeah. Uh, yeah. try to take our minds off of it. So uh, here we go. We hope you guys are enjoying some of that. Um, uh, that live uh, stream last week went very well. I think that was excellent. Um, Thank you guys yeah. so much for coming. Or if Absolutely. you're wa- Thank watching after the fact, I know it's gotten a lot of views afterwards too. So yeah, that was a big success. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely do it again. Um, but uh, also, guys, don't forget to you know like and subscribe to our videos. And and uh, if you guys make some comments on videos, we try to address those as well uh, during these ones that we're recording. So um, either save your comments for the upcoming live stream. Um, I don't know. We'll probably do another one. I don't know. Maybe the first part of the year or something. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, sure. Um, and for now, we'll do some of these um, and uh, and release these to you. So uh, thanks for for uh, hanging out with us, and, and we sure do appreciate it. Um, I thought today that we uh, talk about, you know, lately kind of in the ones that we've been recording anyway, we've been going kind of back to basics like kick drum. We talked, we did a whole episode about kick drum. Um, and I thought that maybe we also go back to basics in general um, and talk about like what what is at the forefront of your thought process as you're mixing. 
mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. what are the most important things as you're going along? What's, what's the first most important thing um, to the last? And, you know, I, in doing some of these master classes, um, you know, and, and also teaching some other things, I have kind of my own opinions about what those things are. Um, and I've broken it down for me into like, you know, the five things that you should concentrate on uh, when you're mixing. Um, and the first one for me is is all about balance. Like, so the point is for me, uh, the way that I think about it is, um, I'm not trying to think of a million things at once. I'm taking things one step at a time. And I look at, at mixing, the mixing process of the very first thing that I look at when I have 128 inputs in front of me is balancing those inputs without any EQ, without any, you know, doing compression, without any of the other stuff, just trying to get those things to balance with each other. I'm not even talking about panning. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about how how are those 128 things or or less? Say you have 32 things. How do you make those 32 things balance with each other? Um, and that that's kind of where I start. Um, but I'd be interested to know like what your thought process is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I'm if I'm understanding it correctly you know what what are we looking at what are we what are these you know five things i guess it's it sort of kind of depends on well at what point are you picking are we picking up in the action you know what i mean well i'm talking about from the beginning so when you when you approach a mix you're given mm -hmm. say it's not yours say someone sent you 32 tracks of stuff and you're starting from the beginning what is your what's the mm-hmm. first things that you look for how do you start your mix yeah to, to me just because you know you pose this to me and at least the way i'm understanding it i think of the first thing i think of is basically i think i start with your thing is kind of number two in my mind because i do while i don't spend a ton of time in solo i do listen to sources in isolation early on so i think for me the way that i would phrase this would be uh, you know step one the the thing that i focus on first is the tonal and it's a quick and dirty version though like tonality of sources would be number one for me so as i get as i as these things come to me it is a push-up of the fader but then it is with some dolling up of some sort like if it needs it i will do a little something you know that to me that's it it is the tonality of the sources um and then we get in a big chase our tail thing here in a little while once we start balancing and rebalancing and finding that the tonal aspect of something in isolation is nothing like what it is in mass you know so um but yeah i would say that for me would be first would be like kind of sculpting ever so gently the tonality of the sources as they come to me so let's take an example. I just want to, you know, so that it's clear to you kind of what I'm saying. Let's take an example, a 32 track thing someone sends to you. It's, it's virtual playback. You've never heard any of the sources before. Mm-hmm. What do you listen to things individually and then try to get a balance together? Or do you listen to, th- do you just go to kick drum and start with kick drum and start EQing it? Or do, if, what's your process? Yep. If there was like a two mix with it, of course, I'd listen to the mix. But if it's just those tracks and nothing but, sure, I would go through something where I would push everything up just to see what we're working with. Yep. More on an exploratory level, though. Like if I knew nothing about it other than here are your 32 tracks, I, I would I would push everything up 
and listen to just get an idea of where we're going. But shortly after that, once I established, okay, I see what everything is, then I, I would move to starting over everything down. And yeah. then I'd start, and then I'd start pulling things up. I get it. Um, mm -hmm. I am, uh, Balance is the most important thing in my book in general for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, when I, I am constantly balancing and rebalancing whenever I do all of the other things like panning and EQ and compression and all of those things mm -hmm. by adding some gain structure change by either adding or subtracting EQ and also, you know, doing some compression or limiting. Um, it, it forces my balance to get out of whack. So, um, I guess I'm just trying to stress to people how important balance is. And mm -hmm. it, it, to me, it's like the forefront of my thought process. I'm constantly rebalancing um, mm -hmm. once, I, once I start doing other things. Mm -hmm. um, so let me just run through the five, all right? Because we just started with one and we didn't, we didn't run through the five. So the five for me are this. There's balance and rebalance. Then there's panning is mm -hmm. the second most important thing in my thought process. Then mm -hmm. there's EQ, which is, uh, you know, especially high pass, low pass filtering, right? We've mm -hmm. talked about that in the past. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's compression. And then the final thing that I kind of think about in the end is depth, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's balance, then placement, then EQ, then compression, and then depth. Those are in order what my thought process is of how I approach a mix from scratch. Got it. Um, and so um, uh, I, I'm just trying to. I get it. Go totally through your methodology, methodology of how mm -hmm. you approach. I think people want to hear like you. You get 32 tracks you've never heard before. So what do you do? Like yep. what? What are your steps that you make? Yep. Yeah. And I think in the way again, just getting on board with with lining up with the concept here. For me, the five quickly mimic yours, but it's right. just. You asked, that's, that's my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the tonality of this. So of course I get the tracks. I have to, I need to know what we're, what we're looking at. Like, what is this thing supposed to look at? So there would be an exploratory push to just get it all up there, to listen, to see what, how often things are, you know, what the sources are, how important they are, how they mesh, this and that quickly after that though. And this is where my list would begin would be pull them all down. And then I'd just start bringing them in. And at that point, the second, so the first would be the tonality of source. And what I mean is that's just on it as it gets served as it's served to me. Like I pull up the next one, it's time to deal with that one. I pull up the next yeah. one, it's time to deal with that one. At that point, my mind on a mixed level starts getting into balance, but it's specifically first, it is balance in terms of amplitude. Like I've, yes. so, you know, if I, I'm and now, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, so this makes sense. The second or the third thing then becomes balance in terms of frequency summing. So I'm list. So I've taken the source, I've done something to it to make it, to give it a presentable start. I bring it to the party and then I, and then I bring something else in and I'm just listening to the literally is, is one louder than the other. Okay. I think it's cool. And that's done with amplitude and panning though. So I would think of panning that early on, like it would be part of kind of, kind of, sort of moving things around a little bit. And yes. so then the, the, then the next step becomes, so then I've got a general balance. 
I've got a balance of all 32 items, really just based on amplitude and their placement in the spectrum. At that point, I move into how do they all interact sonically? And then I might start to change this one tonally a little to make this one fit just i don't do a ton of that but that's that's when i start looking at how are how are we behaving what's the tonal output now of this mix yeah you know um i always tell people you know like mixing in mono is the hardest thing in the world to do so it's so hard (laughs) it is and the reason is is that 50 percent of what i do in the beginning has to do with panning like separation and trying to get things out of the way of each other Mm -hmm. in the spray the space that we have that is the stereo spectrum left to Mm -hmm. right Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why for me, panning is right up front there. It's right next to, you know, uh, balance even before EQ and compression. Yes. Um, because if you, there's a lot of things that I don't have to EQ and compress if I can get them out of the way of each other, you know totally. what I mean? And so totally. panning to me becomes one of the most important things, just like you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why also for me, depth is last. Because Mm -hmm. you have this left to right, you get everything like working together, uh, left to right and compression and EQ wise. And then in the end you go, you know what? I need to make my, and this is a step that I think a lot of people don't do. They get to the spot where it's like, okay, everything's apart from each other. You can hear everything individually and you can hear they're nicely EQ'd individual things and they have a, a space to them. Um, Uh, But then they don't do that last step, which I think is like the pro step, the depth move, right? Sure. Let's make things be farther away from you or closer to you. Um, And uh, to me, that's what separates an amazing mix versus just an okay mix is that Mm -hmm. last step of depth. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get there, just like what you said, it's all about balance and panning and EQ and, um, you know, all of those kind of things. So. Mm-hmm. Um, after I was going to say after for me the way I'm looking at it after I've got the amplitude and I should I should specify <clears throat> when I say tonality of source being number one that for me I'm basically saying that that includes so for me dynamically treating to some degree of source does happen early on yep. so I'll do that early early on then we start getting into, so one, tonality of source, two, balance in terms of amplitude, three, balance in terms of their, now that they're all together, frequency summing. And then once I start tweaking with that, that leads to what I've written down number four, which is then this tireless balancing and rebalancing, which is what you <laughs> yes. said. It's just, cause as you introduce, you know, faders up or faders one at a time, it's still going to equal the same thing. And as it's things are introduced and as they become prominent, as they become louder in the mix, or as you try to give something some energy, it tweaks the balance a little, you know? So then you get into this, then you get into this thing of this, this constant rebalance and a rebalance on a mix. I don't know about you, but I mean, it's, that's common for me. I'll turn to do something, come back to do one thing and just, just instinctually reach over and touch a fader, give it like a, you know, just a little, a little love kiss and then uh you know at the end of all of it for me i put embellishment and i guess what that means is once we've got things to live together amplitude wise so and in turn dynamically once we've got things to live together uh 
tonally on a frequency level, then I'll start getting into effects, which effects are just depth, you yep. know, um, that's when all that stuff comes out. You should be, you can be pretty jamming early on before you've turned on a single effect. Totally. You know? Um, so that comes on at the end. That's at the end. That's when we start doing all the sweetening stuff. That's all the fun stuff, but that's, yeah. that's the very last, that's like dessert. You know, I think, you know, I think we should talk about, there's a lot of, it takes a little bit of experience for a mixer to discover about frequency masking mm -hmm. and also placement masking that happens when you start putting things together, right? Like we talk about this a lot where it's, you can you know listen to an individual thing by itself, panned at one o'clock by itself with its EQ sounds phenomenal. That guitar at one o'clock by itself mm -hmm. sounds phenomenal. But as soon as you start crowding other stuff into it and start panning something at 1230 and 130 uh, that are kind of sharing the same frequency spectrum mm -hmm. that thing starts to be not as cool mm -hmm. um and even so much so you can actually bury something that sounds great by itself if you solo it up in in you know solo in place let's say so you hear the panning mm -hmm. you solo it up and you go man that sounds great and you unsolo it and you go what? i don't understand what is happening right? right and so there are um this choices that i make further along down the road that get into being like extreme eq yeah. Like sometimes we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes if you solo up some of my individual things in mixes, you would be perplexed. You'd be like, <laughs> what is happening? Right. But but then you put it in the overall picture of what's happening and yeah. you go, oh, wow. Um, the, it's the appearance of frequencies that aren't actually there. Like I've high passed something way the hell up. You solo it up and it's like, oh man, that's really bright and nasty. Mm -hmm. But then when you put it in with the other things that are panned at 1230 and 130 that share frequency information, but also have low end to them, the mm -hmm. appearance of that thing that you've placed at one o'clock is, um, is that it has those frequencies and that it is big and full and fat. Right. Uh, and that's a hard concept to grab, right? Like I, I know I have trouble teaching that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can get students, I can get people to understand individual placement and, um, you know, single uh, inputs or, or single instruments, let's say, maybe if it's even multiple inputs, let's say it's three mics on a guitar or whatever, they can make that guitar sound amazing. But as soon as you put the rest of it in, it's like, wow, what happened? Yeah. Um, do you have any insight into that? Like, how can we help people to understand how that works? Well, <clears throat> I think the thing that's interesting is, you know, at that point, it, it, it is easy to take, it's not, nothing's easy, but it, it's, it's one thing to take individual things like you're saying you know in in solo literally uh uh and, and make those into something that's not mixing yeah right it's that's, not so it's what not but it's the concept that they have trouble with right it like they is, go, well it sounds great i don't understand why it doesn't work with the rest that, but that and that's the deal like what we're really talking about is how to how do you, how are you as a mixer right I mean, it's just like i can have all the greatest spices in the world and just line them up right next to one another in the kitchen to be like i'm a killer i'm a killer cook yeah, i mean right? look 
Look at what I have, you know, but you have to, that's a great analogy. That's great. You've you've got to put them all together. And so what you're talking about is the big divider and the way that we make space that we made them make the, the way we make the mix work and make that palatable is through balance, but it's balanced in different ways. And it's what you've said. And it's what I've said. There's both amplitude, there's amplitude, there's there's frequency there's frequency masking there's things summing there's things uh you know adding in a subtraction there's compression manner. to keep things from poking out at there's stuff some- because you know if something has a bunch of eq or amplitude to it mm-hmm. it can also shift stuff in your mix and make it sound nasty so yep. it's all of those things it's all of those things and no and in which one do you go to because yeah. you might pull off a move of an overall fader move of 3db that was the right move or that could have been accomplished you know with some eq moves in the same like it and who's to say what's right and what's wrong and that but that end result is what makes us all different mixers and that's that's why at the end of the day these mixes do come up sounding can be quite markedly differently markedly different sounding depending on how they were put together and how they were built. So I think what you're talking about is it it gets into the thing of where it comes down to both experience and instinct and hopefully some study, some understanding that, you know, because a lot of times you have a source that you pull up, it sounds great on its own. Then you start adding other sources. Suddenly you can't hear anything, but your stereo bus is about to explode. Yeah. You know, so it's like, so what's that all about? Um, So it's a tough concept. It is a tough concept. And I've thought a lot about this, like how, you know, because people listen, people send me mixes all the time to critique or what listen to or or have suggestions about what's going on. And uh, I would say the majority of the comments that I would have about some of the stuff that people send me is that, that like I can tell that the drum kit by itself probably sounds really great like Mm -hmm. the kit by itself without anything else on top of it but the mix that they're sending me the drum kit doesn't sound great Mm -hmm. because of all the other stuff that is frequency masking and and also uh you know too much compression and you know Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff is is making the overall result be not as cool and I think that people have a struggle of getting over that hurdle. Like how, how do I figure out how to make this drum kit that sounds great now work with all the other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a, that's a hard concept to grab. And I, I think that is just what you said. It comes from experience and it comes from um, doing it a bunch. Like if you guys are home right now, I would say do that all the time. Get some tracks and, you know, try to figure out how to uh improve the improve the rebalance after you've done compression and eq and mm-hmm. and all of these things and panning you then have to rebalance and then actually end up doing extreme things in order mm-hmm. to make things punch through a mm-hmm. mix right or mm-hmm. Um, the other term is make things glue together. That's a hard thing to do too. And that's it. In my, it's, I'm sitting here thinking there's a concept <clears throat> in the studio, you know, where an artist has demo love. Yeah. In other words, they had a song. It's, it's an artist that doesn't write their own material. They had a song pitched to them. They love it. They love yeah. it. And no matter what happens in the studio with you recutting it with a thousand times more effort and more talent and better gear and this and that, the artist can't not hear what they fell for 
in the demo. You right. know what I mean? And, and something, follow with me here, similar happens in mixing where, and I've spoken about it a lot on here, where whatever input you just focused on last suddenly is in first place. Yeah. And, and, and then before you know, you're, you're, it's like you're off to the races. You're so just build, gets, build, 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 build. Yeah. And, and what's really hard is, you know, how do you get that drum kit that by itself sounds great yet can live with other things and does not have to be four times too loud to retain its greatness, you know, sure. and that's all that stuff's really, really hard. I was thinking the other day I was driving around <clears throat> and I was thinking about, um, I may have mentioned this on here before, but you know, I, I knew I was, I mean, I had a, a mix that I liked, I got great results with for years. And then when I started and just in general, any, any kind of mix that I'd find myself working on some better than others. But when I entered the world of having to compete against track, it was jarring in so many ways, but I will tell you, it made me a better mixer because I had to learn how to make my, my mix, which before was so powerful and so big, but then up against these over-processed or perfectly processed or whatever studio tracks, my shit was anemic and it just didn't hit and it was dull and compared to, you know? So it was like, that was when, and so that was a huge experience for me, but in the, on the other side of it, it made me a lot better because I did have to learn. <clears throat> it just teach, it just taught me how to, you know, the more stuff that's coming in, how do you make it all matter and not get lost and not just have this boring wall of sound or this wall of just where nothing means anything, you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I try to tell people that you, you can't just keep adding. Um, mm -hmm. So let's just talk about frequency wise. Mm -hmm. You can't just keep adding more things to make stuff you know, have frequency spectrum wise, you know, from wherever your mix starts, you know, at, at 40 Hertz all the way up to, you know, 16, 18 K. Um, you, if you add something frequency spectrum wise, then something else has to suffer. Right? right. So there's this kind of push and pull thing when frequencies are being shared among instruments. Um, I, I think about this a lot, like, you know, when you were talking about with tracks versus real stuff, uh, and I know we've done a whole episode about that, but um, if you just soloed my tracks when the, when it's a, 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 a an artist that has tracks and and real instruments together, if you just soloed my tracks, they'd be super thin and kind of a little weird. Uh-huh. Like, the idea is that those things all go together, right? Right. So, I'm utilizing and, and and also maybe if you sold some of I know like with Jay-Z for me, um, I had to make a bunch of his tracks be small mm -hmm. in order for the live instruments mm -hmm. that were covering some of that frequency range. So actually I was taking, you know, a full range, amazing sounding stem that they mm -hmm. created and like crushing it and right. taking low pass and high pass and, and making it like this big. And you just said too, you like you did something to to it dynamically. So amplitude yes. and you did something to it tonally. So it's like having that instinct to go, like what does make it smaller mean? Right. To even know what that means. Is, <laughs> that's true. You know, that's, that's just having done it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and so uh, that's that's something that you guys should just practice doing. Like, um, you know, sometimes you have to destroy to make it better. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I'm I I think about that a lot. I don't just listen to an individual thing or an individual group and go, that sounds amazing. Let's leave that alone and let's move on to here. I'm constantly going, okay, now I'm going to add guitar and it, boy, does it, this guitar had tons of 400. Uh Well, guess what? Somebody else has to lose 400 in order for this to work. Right. Um, And so, you know, that is something definitely um, that, that is in my thought process when, especially when we're talking about getting to the EQ part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know that, um, let's talk a little bit about panning. And I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but, um, how much extreme panning do you do? Do you do, um, like if you looked at your stereo channels, which are like probably playback and you know whatever else, are most of those like hard panned or not? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Before I answer what that looks like, I think yep. it'd be more important just for my overall philosophy to answer the first part of your question. Sure. And when you were speaking earlier about panning, it, it made me think about this. And what this is, and I and I've spoken about it often, is I wish we could live in a world where we could do tons of extreme panning. Um, but we don't, we don't in live sound because again, it's not, that's kind of to the left. It's kind of to the right. It's no, that's 200 feet over there. And that's, it becomes this, (laughs) it's not a sonic once things get really, if they're, if they're hard panned and, in isolation. In other words, they're not, there's not a balancing element to it That's, over here. I was just going to say that, that I do do a lot of hard panning, but the thing is, is that I create a stereo image of it opposite that, of each other. Yep. And that's why when I will now go on. So for my, the second part of that, yeah. what I'll do, if it's like, and I'll, and I'll just use guitars for an example. Like I love big spread out, powerful guitars. If I can get the mix right to where they're working and they create some sort of symmetry, that's the best. But if you look at my session with my guitar centric bands, I don't do all the way and all the way. Yeah, I do like do I. 71, you, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Or something like, like yeah. that seems somewhere 50. So my spread is not a full spread. But if you go into stereo, if you go into playback channels, and it's a balance it's not a two out of whack stem. And unless anything's totally skewed within its own stereo spectrum, those things are set up to where it's just a stereo. It's just stereo. If yeah. I find things are getting wanky and they're, you know, they're off, then I'll start correcting. But, um, so I do have, you know, overheads. I will, I'll, it'll get to the point sometimes in some of my mixes to where literally nothing is like hard, where the, the overheads sound too weird, like a ride on that side of the arena and a hat sound. It just, so everything gets pulled in and then you, you listen to it as a thing. It's not as wide, but in, in practice. So it's, it's finding the, it's just finding the, I don't know, whatever, whatever the sweet spot is, whatever you're comfortable with, how far off. And we've talked about this. If, if, do I just have a left, right hang? Is there a mirror image other hang over there? That's going to fill in the panning from this side over here to, you know, I want to make a good musical mix. I don't want to have things that's just like comically far apart within a live space. I think, you know, a lot of guys get in trouble. I've been sent a couple of mixes recently where the drum kit 
sounds so weird to me because their symbols are like super isolated, super yeah. high passed up, super crispy, super symboly, mm-hmm. and they're way the hell out here, yeah. like almost behind you a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're way out. And the rest of the drum kit, it like lives in this yeah. weird, like nine to three world. Like uh-huh. even the last floor Tom is not, doesn't go all the way out, you know? Right. Um, and it, it kind of freaks me out. It's like, it's not, it's like the symbols are in another room. They're not like part of the kit itself. Um, and it, it drives me crazy because it's a drum kit. It's like, yeah. you know, um, it all should be kind of cohesive and be, together um i think the difference between a a a good mix and a champion mix Mm -hmm. um are those kind of things where you know you're thinking on this level of you know hey the drum kit is this whole thing now i know what's happened all right when i listen to a mix like that when someone has sent me that they have their drum kit sounding probably pretty good and it maybe isn't as far stretched out and and what they're using on the end part of it is like a plug-in in their mix to do a spreader. Yeah, and it just move, gets so right? weird. And mm-hmm. it it takes certain instruments and like spreads them way wider than they should be. Mm-hmm. And I get it; it makes sp- space in your mix, but it also disconnects totally individual things. So um, I always. That's why I'm trying to drive home the point of like, it's, there's always re-evaluation. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't ever like set and forget something like, you know, um, um, my, my thought process isn't always thinking about the kick drum, but I always go back to thinking about the kick drum yeah. every uh, 20 yeah. minutes. As an anchor, say. as a yeah. base, right? As an anchor, right. Mm-hmm. So... I just want you guys to know my process is always like, I think what makes us good, and you tell me if you think about this, but for me, I know that my thought process is I can think about something very specific and then let it go and think yep. about something else and be very specific and let it go. Yep. And that I'm doing this constantly, right? In my mm-hmm. mix, I'm looking at individual things and focusing on through a, a mud of crap, Right. (laughs) Right. I can focus on that glockenspiel in the playback Mm. that you can barely hear. But boy, if you don't have it in there, it's not going to make it, you know, it's not going to sound good. So I'm I'm very good at like focusing on those things. But I will tell you that I am constantly coming back out and like looking at the big picture of things and being like, oh, okay, because that glockenspiel is right where it is now it's screwing up the symbols yeah for instance yeah um so and that that's a great example a glockenspiel and a track seriously that is such a good example it is i know like, oh yeah and because that's the kind Tambourines of and glockenspiels can destroy mixes in a second if you don't get them right they can and if it's coming to you via a track i guarantee you that is a signature sound yes. in there. And if it's not in there, it will not sound right to the people That's that right. know it best. And those people that know it best are the people that matter the most, which are the artist management, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. You know, they know it so intimate. Yeah, that's so good. But, but you know, those kind of things are the things that are like supposed to be felt 
yeah. instruments. Like, especially tambourine. I know it's, I have struggled with tambourine all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's got to be there. It's part of what makes. But the last thing you want is, is lead tambourine. You know, (laughs) it's right. You know, I know, I know here, I'll give you one. I'll give you, here's, let me give you an example. So I had to mix this thing a few months back or a month back or something like that. And, um, in the project, there's two guitar players. One is the lead guy and his tone just screams lead. It's, it's always present. It's got plenty of mid range. I mean, it's got plenty of body and everything else, but it's got that stuff that you just don't have to do much with it to make it show itself right the other guitar player has a much darker sound and if you tastefully place it to where it is balanced it is technically balanced with the other one it's always going to sound lower because it doesn't have that presence so there's a moment where this guy took uh, a solo and he doesn't usually solo and i kind of had to I had two choices. I could either make him brighter, which I tried to do at first, to where he would be brighter and I'd only have to kind of lift him, but that changed what he is. It became a sound that was not him. So what I in turn did was I decided, no, I'm just really gonna have to turn him up and he's gonna have to come up more than this guy would have to come up to be heard because tonally, because this thing not pushed far enough becomes, well, can't you hear that's a solo? I mean, clearly he's soloing and it's like, I know, but tonally it's so dark. You're going to need it way. Do you see what I'm saying? I totally do. And that was a mixed battle there. And I listened back to it and he's too, he's kind of too loud, but I'm telling you, if I had put him, if I tucked him a little, it'd be like, that guy's soloing, turn him up. And it has to do with what the source is tonally. And that again is another example of you when you quickly talked about making the track lower, you know, you mentioned all these things and it's just, it's just getting that, that checklist in your head of like, what is it, what does it need to do and how am I going to get it there? Yeah. Um, it's so I, nuanced though. It's so nuanced on how, how we do these things. Oh man, it is. And like, it, it matters. The difference between a great mix and a champion mix are, um, those kind of little small changes and things, you know, um, I play a game to like, even before I kind of really start thinking about depth in my mix um i play a game called what can i mute (laughs) totally totally. Um, because uh you know i know that artists and musical directors and and bands all think that everything that they're throwing at me is important Mm -hmm. Um, and i i treat it as such you know if you're sending me 128 track you know 32 tracks of playback I get that you think that everything that is in that playback is important, but I am, you're paying me to be the big picture guy, right? You're paying me to be, what are the things that are going to make this mix stand out? What's going to make that vocal pop? Cause that's what everyone's coming to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that I, you know, I'll be balancing and putting things up and just being like that thing whatever it is you know a a a little specific playback part Mm -hmm. um that's getting lost in everything is doing nothing but cluttering the mix right not important it's not not being heard it's not making an impact in fact it's just causing problems that's right Mm -hmm. um and and you may if you make the decision to mute that which i i you know full disclosure i've done Mm -hmm. huge bands where i've been like nope that's totally 
Um, sometimes you get busted, right? Sometimes yeah. a musical director or somebody will come and be like, Hey, where's that little part, you know, whatever. And then you have to, you know, play the political game and, and, you know, tell them exactly mm -hmm. what your thought process is, which is, Hey, this part isn't helping. And let me show you, I'll show you why it's not helping. Let's put it in and like, see, mm -hmm. it's not helping. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think it's your job being a live sound mixer more than a person that mixes a record an engineer that mixes a record a live sound mixer is also the producer mm. and it is uh those two jobs are combined when you're talking about live stuff when you're talking about making a record a lot of times there's an engineer and there's a producer and the producer makes you know decisions about what's happening in your mix well you're both Mm -hmm. And you need to act like it, like act like a producer and be like, you know what? That part sucks. I'm not using it. It doesn't work here. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I would say on the normal, there's at least one or two things that I'll mute in a song. You know, mm -hmm. if it's if it's a super cluttered thing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, or a discussion with a musical director about pulling that out of a stem. I've had, mm -hmm. I do that a lot too. Just being mm -hmm. like, okay, that thing that's in that stem is not helping. Yep. Um, so, uh, so what, what can you mean? Play that game. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. I know I was thinking about one act I have where <clears throat> it was just this thing. It was like one of my moves at the top of every show. It was, there was no track, at least not in this, in the opening song. And like the way that I made it work in the, you know how it is at the top of the show too, when the crowd is so loud and they're kind yeah. of screwing up your good mix because the noise yeah. floor is getting louder and you can't hear any detail and all you hear, I hate that. It's like, y'all be quiet. I have this thing I worked so hard on. But one of the things <laughs> I would do- Hold it down, I got this thing going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quit getting your money's worth. Um, there was a, th a move I made where one of the guitar players, I just, and it's I'd mixed them for several years. At this point, I just knew it was the same opening song every time. I like I would never drop him in until the second verse. Yeah, which is a very that's a studio mindset. It's a production aspect. Is like I know you need to be the artist wants you up there, given the visual. Yeah, you and I both know there's no space for you right there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm just telling. I was close with the guy. I was like, I'm just letting you know you're coming in on the second verse. Yeah, and Do he's like, yeah, and he's like, totally no problem. Huge, whatever. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, something when you were talking, I just started thinking about something else as often happens here. Uh, the, um, I got a call or a text yesterday from a buddy and he's working on this really killer project. And he was like, Hey, I've got a couple mixes. Can you listen to them for me? And I said, sure. No problem. So he sent them to me. <clears throat> and when I finally got to him, I listened to him and I didn't, I wasn't going to sit there and be like, you know, I just, I just listened a couple times. Sure. It was like, what's my key takeaway? And my key takeaway was this. And the point is that there is, I knew the difference between in that one, the vocals louder versus in that one, the band's quiet, the music is quieter. Do you see what I'm saying? Like I listen, I listened to the first track and the music spoke to me. It kind of came at me a little bit in the vocal either needed just some tweaking or needed a tiny bit of amplitude applied to it. Yep. Then I listened to the second one and it was obvious to me that the second one, the vocal wasn't any louder in my car, but the music didn't matter as much. And so th to the lay person that could be, well, I like that version because I can hear the vocal better. And then if you ask them to further deduce why that is, they might be like, oh, I don't know. I guess they just turned that part up. Like I, I knew the difference. I wasn't listening to a, 
vocal up mix i was listening to a music that so like no like you mentioned your kick drum is an anchor every yeah. 15 minutes like when you're listening even think of like what's the amplitude what amplitude what am i hearing what's the bass and so that'll allow you to start figuring out the difference between you know turning things down and turning things up so i just want to make reference of that like really know what you're hearing and when things contrast, why did they contrast? Was it from things moving upwards or was it in fact from other things coming down or in your situation, other things just being removed from the picture altogether, you know? And in doing that, you're not, again, you're not risking going, running out of space essentially. Yeah. It's, so. you know, reevaluation constantly for me. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's even times where it'll get so cluttered and weird for me. Like everything now that I've built, you know, I've been working, been working, been working. I get to a point where I'm just like, holy crap. It's just this big wall of shit. Yeah. Now, uh, I'll like literally like turn, yeah, okay, let's turn everything down, start again. And like, totally. let's build again and get things, you know, um, reined in. So to me, like, that's why I always, that's why I was trying to stress how balance and rebalance is like the, the foremost thing in my head mm -hmm. um, at all times. Like even towards the end when I'm starting to get into depth, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's still I'm still thinking like maybe some things need to be rebalanced in regards to that. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about depth. You've you've. Yeah. You've gotten um, into your your mix. You've got things uh, nicely panned, let's say, and there mm -hmm. everything is kind of living individually in its own space. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe even before that, you've created some space with drums or you know whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but do you have a what? What's your like? journey or thought process about making okay now i want to think about making things closer or farther away from me like mm -hmm. what do you what it's do you really you know it's interesting yeah as you're asking this <clears throat> because i haven't mixed a big show in a while and i've i've mixed but i would say mix sparingly compared to how much i usually mix in my life i do as a result of these last eight months like there's a few things i want to tr start trying to do a little different when I get back and sure. <clears throat> I have a feeling I'll drift back to where I've always been. My, I try to keep my mixes. I have tried in the past, <clears throat> like on an instrument level drums. Sure. They get, it gets ver verb treatment of different sorts, either to make it gel. You kind of can't hear it to make a vibe, to make an obvious effect, to make this and that. When it comes to the instruments, the rest of the instrumentation, I'm usually because of, everything we have working against us in a live environment, you know, like these hard walls, it's usually pretty dry. Um, I will in rehearsals, I'll, I'll start messing with, you know, buses of verbs for guitars and this and then, and then they'll kind of come back out. But I have found, it's funny during COVID mixing here a little bit, I've found a way to where I'm getting more into some sort of reverb slash ambience for instrument sources more is just a gelling effect. I don't know. Somehow it's slightly different, and I think I'm going to be able to pull it off live. So that, because, you know, it's interesting. Once we've established these this relationships between all these sources, um, once you apply depth, I mean, think about what depth literally implies. Yeah. So this sound sounds this way. The, the, everything's balanced. Let's say this is the mix, left hand, right hand. Once we put a little verb on this, it's going to get bigger, but it's also going to 
kind of pull back but yeah. it's actually at the same amplitude it just was so that's and then so then again then the rebalance takes on a whole other shape um of dry versus wet forward and back so I, I play with delays on occasion you know to create space if i don't want the smear of verb mm -hmm. but i want the presence like shorter delays with low feedback just to absolutely space. yeah just just as something like in fact i love i feel like i could do a whole show with just delay and make it make it work i'd thicken things give them space give them effect so that that's kind of my thing um i do get into like spatializing things from time to time like why we've talked about this widening of sources um i'll do some trickery here and there but for the most part it's it's just it's verb um trickery and magic yeah um what about you? I think that, uh, you know, my philosophy in all of that is I almost never, we've talked about this before, I almost never use super long reverbs, you know? Like, mm -hmm. if you looked at all my reverb settings, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything like past two, you know, or two five. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like anything that's longer than two seconds in length, um, is to me like a super big reverb that's just clouding what you have going on because already we are usually in spaces that have that kind of acoustic energy already happening. Right? Correct. Um, so all it does for me is clutter mixes. So you'll discover I do, you know, we talked about this before I do, uh, you know, long pre-delay times, uh, you know, 60, 80, hundred milliseconds with short reverb tails, mm -hmm. um, to create space. And that is really kind of, um, almost like it's a delay, but it's got a little bit of reverb at the yeah. end. It's that just got a little vibe on it's it. It's got just a little bit of vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, and if placed properly, it pushes vocals at you. Like, for instance, if you use it on a vocal, um, it makes the a dry vocal be kind of here. But if you can create space that's behind it, that's a pre-delay and a little small reverb tail, it mm -hmm. pushes that vocal out of your mix. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's a skill. It's like it's taken me a lot of years to not just throw on whatever reverb. Like, I think when I first started, I was like, oh yeah, SPX 900, you know, hall setting, right. you know, whatever, 2.3. And, um, and that was like my vocal reverb and not really thinking that it was important or that anything about it was important. But mm -hmm. to me, like the nuance of getting a reverb right is the difference between a vocal feeling kind of cool in the center and a vocal feeling like, holy crap, that vocal's like in my yeah. face feels amazing. Right. And so those are the kind of things that I'm talking about depth wise. Mm -hmm. Those little things take your mix from great to champion. So mm -hmm. um, they're important to me, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I really focus on those things, but it is. I focus on them once everything else is kind of already working, you know, yeah, totally. it's kind of the same thought process I have about like compression and EQ on my mix bus. Mm -hmm. but, you know, we've talked about that. That for me is like a mastering place, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, and so very nuancy, not like huge giant compression happening on my mix bus in that same thought process is also depth for me. Like those mm -hmm. are like the little things at the end, but they're the things that separate the men from the boys, I think. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. So the um, and you know, and in the overdoing it of these things, yes, is as amateur as those (laughs) two high passed spread out falsely overheads. Totally, which is just as bad as the holy grail of all sins, the too loud kick drum. Like it's just, you know, that's a. And you should know, by the way, you should know that a great deal of my mixes, the vocals have nothing on them except for maybe a chorusy kind of a thing and then mm -hmm. a delay for delay cues. Yeah, like like literally. Mm -hmm. Literally, I'm not the guy that's like bathing vocals in stuff. Most of the time, it's like vocals are dry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's so funny, the vocalists, when, when it comes to live sound vocalists in, it wasn't so much in wedges at all, but you know, in their ears, they love that vocal sound. It's that thing, to, that, that verb sound. It's a thing yeah. that sort of hide in, it smears things, it masks yeah. things, but go find, go listen to that artist's record. I guarantee you there's not five seconds of reverb at all, at all. Holy. There's more like fun spatial things going on with their vocal and particularly now you know vocals they're not dry at all but they're not wet in the way we used to consider a vocal wet 100 no and i you know i was mentioning earlier how i've started to kind of gel things more on an instrument level i can tell you for many many years uh and and this is a function of having the you know a lot of times i'll do this with like internal reverbs off of the in the desk but you know now where we've got all the auxes we want we've got all this and that you know i always whether it's whatever the source is i've always got a few flavor of verbs for them too in mind where i've always got like a room and then a taily thing so and then it's so now we're getting into the balancing of those versus one another you know do i just want to give it a little do i want to make it like where you're talking about making that vocal pop, then there's the thing that's just bone dry, hanging out right in front of you. That's like, do something with that. (laughs) You know, it's too naked. Um, and you know, in a room can excite it, spread it just so much where, you know, then we start getting the tails and we can talk about very obvious effects or just uh, even further pushing back. So for me, I'm always thinking in terms of what am I doing with these? What are these things? What's their role? You know, yeah. what are these, what are these elements of embellishment? How much are they supposed to do? But they matter so much and overdoing it is just as bad. It, overdoing it might be worse than not doing anything. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. I've been experimenting, uh, recently with, um, messing with the EQ of the send to the oh, reverb. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big So that, that, like, you know, I'm sending to, uh, let's say it's a short reverb with a long pre-delay, like what I like on a vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the send that I would do, years and years, what I did was just send it straight, you know, aug send straight from whatever the vocal sound is, is mm-hmm. now going to the reverb, right? And so the reverb return is a reverb, but it has all of the EQ characteristics of what that vocal has. Mm-hmm. Try experimenting with um, taking the EQ and like high passing it way up and send what you're sending to the the reverb is more splatty kind yeah. of uh, you know vocal. There's a big difference in there. In, in that that is way different, by the way, way guys, different. than EQing the return. Way different. Of what's happening. So mm-hmm. those are two tools that you should check out. Like 
EQing the send and compressing the send even um, to the reverb versus doing EQ of the return of the reverb and learn what the differences of those sounds are. They're, they're completely different sounding things. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've been experimenting with that a lot recently, and, and I, I, I like the result, um, especially on vocals, so that you know if you've got a vocalist that has lots of full range you know um like bruce dickinson for example he's you know he can go all the way from ooh to you know screaming super high scream stuff um if you eliminate some of the low end part of his vocal being sent to a reverb mm. it cleans that reverb up totally even though that low end part of his vocal is now is kind of dry now because that part of his vocal is not being sent to the reverb, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, it um, does. I, I want to say real quick, the same point I, I used to hear back in the day before everybody had the ability to bust everything or you couldn't, you know, whatever, very easily. A lot of times people would get a big fat snare sound and they were doing it with just, let's say they were doing it with a snare top and they had a snare bottom. They were only sending snare reverb from the bottom because yeah. they wanted the brighter whereas you know i'll do that whereas i just go to my send a lot of times like i want all that all those frequencies we talk about loving i want all that tubby stuff and i don't want it in the reverb but just make taking it out of the reverb equation is a different sound than getting the return yes. and scooping it there because you're literally i mean it's your it's just a whole other it's a whole other sound that being said it's not an either or i'll do both all the time totally yeah no no no. i'm not saying it's either or i'm saying they're two different sounds mm -hmm. and you should know yeah. you should ear train yourself to learn which you should be using uh -huh. and what yeah and, and know this too guys you could send like I'm talking about drums. Let's say you've got an ungated, you've got a, a snare sound that's from an ungated snare top and a gated bottom or something like that, or just only an ungated snare top. Nowadays, with that, with that path as complex as everything is, you can not only EQ that send to wherever, you can gate just the send, you know? So yeah, you can lose, lose all that hi-hat, or if you have a vocal that you can't get away with like expansion on with the dry source, well, you sure as shit can do it with the send, like clean stuff up, or I've got, I'll tell you right now with Bruno Mars all the time, his mic is so incredibly hot that um, I DS to some degree almost all the effect sends. Anything that's gonna, and it's not even because, it's really not what it does to the mix, it's like on a set it off in the room level. Totally. So like a lot of the ver the ver the delays everything you'll go to them you'll see these DSers just going and it's already happening on the channel, but I do it even more. So you know get yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow we've wandered into this, but get creative with your sins. You can do you can do so much. You know. Well, I think we wandered into this just to show you that there are a bunch of different ways for the depth part mm -hmm. of um, thinking about your mix mm -hmm. process and when i get to this point uh -huh. um there's all kinds of ways you know you were talking about snare drum and having the gate to the send be there there's a really interesting sound that happens if you eliminate ghost note snaring out oh, yeah. of the reverb out of the verb right if it's only that big hit mm -hmm. it makes this wow like the, the ghost notes are now dry right mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the big snare drum is a is a big hit which it can really really cool stuff and if you think about, God, I hope I can formulate this thought right, because it ties into everything we said. The ghost notes, which are typically lower in amplitude, yeah. are now going to be drier, yes. therefore 
further up. It's like it, it works. Correct. It's, yeah, making depth wise too. You know, so um, it's like a, a happy accident of sorts. You know, <laughs> with some with with something like that. Um, yeah. I'll tell you what. Something else fun. You know, we're talking about ways to do depth. You know, no, we're starting to talk about maybe getting creative with your use of effects or whatever yeah. your spatial tools are, your time-based tools. I will always, always, always try on a tour to have, I've usually got like a roomy, short, vibey sort of thing that's like a, however much I use it, it just depends. But man, I'm always trying to, my favorite sound in the world, in the world, in all of produced music is the sound of drum rooms. Whether it's over the top, Zeppelin, like, you know, uh, or uh, or if it's just that oh man you know you know like that's a great snare sound it's like you know what you love about that you love the room of it yeah, you right. love the, psh, psh. so I'm always trying to make this like room and you can do it best with two things one a great super high end reverb like a Bricasti or just the worst piece of garbage or the grainiest onboard thing take that squash it. Yeah. Mess with like pummeling that thing like you would with like a distressor or whatever else with room mics. And I'm always trying to like tuck that in there. And man, you yeah, start yeah. getting into attack and release times with that. You can really make drums move and pump and in creative ways. So I don't know. It's just another Sometimes, thing. you know, I think you're, you were saying the same thing, but sometimes lo-fi yeah. is actually better. Oh, right? oh but for definitely. Yeah. Um, Definitely. especially sometimes I'll, I'll experiment with, you know, taking uh, a reverb and just making it super like lo-fi, like making it sound like it's eight bit, you know, yeah. just super crunchy and nasty. And, you know, you listen to it by itself and you're like, you know, it's just mm -hmm. whatever distorted, you know, thing. But, mm -hmm. um, in the scope of all of it, um, you're like, Whoa, that's pretty killer on the snare drum or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so but it's uh, funny we're talking about all this stuff and all everything we've mentioned in this last step depth or i labeled it as embellishment as being my final step like none of this is even possible unless you've got the steps before it even remotely. that's right if you haven't gotten balance and both spectrally you know tonally uh, in terms of amplitude if those things aren't right you don't even make it to this part of the show that's like you don't right. it, this is but this is the stuff that starts to separate you, you know, this is, yeah. The end part of this is, is what, like I said, you know, it takes you, it takes a great mix and makes it into like people walking up to you going, dude, mm -hmm. like, what are you doing? It's all mm -hmm. of those little nuancey things that are, you know, make all the difference in the world. Um, but you can't have those nuancey things unless you have your balance, right? Unless everything's, you know, totally, unless it's all living in there nicely and stuff is playing together. Nice. Um, you can't make something feel like it's, it's pushed forward and has depth, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um so cool um well that was uh, a little hour on what you know our thought process is of um as we mix um you know chris and i have similar thought processes we probably like if you put us side by side and said here's 32 tracks both of you have the same 32 tracks and we both go at it we would approach them a little bit differently but those five things are always at the forefront of our mind as we're working Sure. Um, so, uh, thanks for tuning in guys. We hope you got some of that stuff. Um, little nuancey things at the end are important. Um, and, uh, we'll see you, uh, soon. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. All right. See you everybody.